You know, today, this morning, uh, uh, we have landed on Deuteronomy 29, and I've entitled my sermon, <clears throat> Renew. Renew. Renew what? Renew our covenant with God. Renewing what is covenant? I'll explain very soon. But we, we, I, I guess it's an invitation for everybody to reflect, to renew, and then to revel in God's glory, you know? Uh, you know, uh, um, Deuteronomy 29, I can't read the whole thing because it's pretty long, but I, I want to sum it up in a nutshell. This is where Moses invites the whole of Israel onto the plains of Moab, and he says, I'm going to cut, God wants to cut a covenant with Israel. And, and last week, you've heard the curses and the blessing. The curses and the blessing is obedience and disobedience, and that is part of the terms and the condition of the covenant. And Moses said, I want to cut a covenant with Israel. And the rest of the book of Deuteronomy is that, but when I cut a covenant with you, you have got this problem, and you've got that problem. And because of all the problems, you will be led into disobedience. And when you are led into disobedience, you will invoke the curse of the covenant that comes upon you. That's the whole book of 29. But then 30, because 29 and 30 are, are, are two chapters that go together, 30 says, but if you return to the Lord, the Lord will return to you. So that's just a very big picture, a very big summary of, of Deuteronomy 29 and 30. But you know, you know, when I woke up this morning, as I, was, I, you know, I, I knew what I was going to preach, I knew what I was going to say, renewing the covenant. When I woke up this morning at 6, I, just, just, I, I couldn't sleep for various reasons. And then I you know, just started praying and thinking about a sermon. I said, God, you know, uh, uh, maybe give me a fresh revelation of renewing the covenant. So God gave me this picture. I thought it was, I, I, I thought it was uh, adequate. I thought it was very appropriate, not adequate, very appropriate for renewing the covenant. You see, in, in post-pandemic, I have the great privilege of being a young adults pastor uh, together with uh, 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 my uh, fellow pastors here in marrying young couples. Oh, it's one of my, it's one of my privilege and honor. I love marrying uh, young couples. One of the reasons why is because I get to see young couples in love. I get to see them in love and it reminds me of my love and it reminds me of five years ago when I said my vows, all the 10 uh, terms and conditions of my covenant with my wife. But in post-pandemic, what happened with a lot of young couples is during the MCO, you know, we've only got 20 minutes for a space and it's only limited to about six people. So it's just maybe parents and the couple itself. So it's got to be chop, chop. It's got to be quick, quick, quick. Say your, say your vows, put the rings, kiss, pronounce, go, 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 next. Next couple, go, 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 next. So one day there's a whole list of couples. So, you know, so the turnover rate is quite fast. So a lot of the couple says, you know, uh, we want to get married in the MCO, but after MCO, can we renew our, uh, our vows? Can we have another blessing ceremony? We want to invite our friends and families and, you know, say our vows and do the whole shebang again with the photographers and everything. I said, oh, of course, it's my privilege. So as I was thinking this morning, I was remembering when I married these young couples, I always hear their vows and I love it. You know, it's always, I knew I loved you from the moment I saw you. I fell in love, head over fields, or oh, for you. Oops, you fell because you were an angel fell from heaven. You're the most beautiful, most pretty, and then they go to the vows. I vow to always love you. I vow to always wash the dishes. I vow to always do the laundry. I vow to never leave things around in the house. I vow to tidy the house. It's serious vows. Why are you laughing? It's, uh, the, the, only the married couples for more than five years are laughing, right? Because you know, you know the meaning of those vows, right? I, I vow to never make you cry. 
and to always be there for you when you cry, a shoulder to cry on. I love it. It reminds me, no, it's a good reminder for us. And after post, post-pandemic, when we renew the vows again, they've married, been married for a year or two and they do it again. It's a little bit more sober. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I knew I loved you from the moment I met you, but I vow to love you through the thick and thins. It's a bit more sober. Through the difficulties of our life, I will still love you. Right? So it's a little bit more so now we realize, right? I was just telling somebody in the second service, just we're talking about it. Yeah, uh, and then she said to me, yeah, at, our, at uh, their first wedding vows to always wash the dishes. But now each other create more dishes for the other person to wash. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's the reality of life. That's who we are. But today, I, I just thought, I want to ask you a question before I even open the scriptures. How many of us remember our vows and our covenant love for Jesus Christ? Do we remember that joy when we first met Jesus, we first received Jesus many, many years ago, many, many moons ago, when we were so excited for Jesus, is that Jesus healed me, Jesus saved me, Jesus brought me from the pit of darkness all the way into light, and now I live for Him, I love church, worship can do no wrong, the, the sermon can do no wrong, church is the perfect, oh, I love church, I must go to church, that joy... And I guess now after maybe five years, one year, 10 years, 15 years down the road, some of us 35 years down the road as a Christian, how do you feel now as you renew your covenant with God today? And I want to invite you to renew your covenant with God. I want us to renew it with reflection on the depravity of our own heart, but I also want to renew it reveling in the glory of who God is in His covenant with us. I want us all to leave this place with the joy of that covenant once again, that we can say, God, I vow to always come to church and pick up the rubbish on the floor. You know, I vow to serve you out of joy. I always come to church with a smile on my face. I vow to just worship you and love you with all my heart because you're so in love with this Jesus Christ. And I really hope that we leave today just having a bit more of that, just saying, God, I I need you a bit more. All right? So that's, I want to leave you all with that one question to think about first. Have we lost the joy of our salvation? Psalms 51. With all that has happened in COVID, have we lost that joy? Are we a bit tired? Are we a bit oh, complacent? Are we a bit lackadaisical? Have we lost that joy? Shall we open Deuteronomy? All right, let's open Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29 verse 1. Now, I could park here actually for a long time but I only want to point out one or two things here. And this is actually a quite a, you know, Deuteronomy 29 is such a rich scripture. I tell you, the more I read it, the more rich it speaks to me, right? And I wish I could say it all, but I don't have time. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. Now, I want to point out two words here. I want to very quickly, in the complication of the word covenant, I want us, I, I try my best to simplify it to the basic of its definition. The word covenant here means a coming together, which means that the first modality of the word covenant is a relationship. It is a covenant relationship. You can't have a covenant with yourself. You've got to have a covenant with someone else. So it's a coming together. Now in Deuteronomy, it's Moses with the people of Israelites on behalf of God. It's God cutting the covenant on behalf uh, with Israelites, the body. But in the modern context, we can also cut covenant with God individually, ourselves. We can do it as a couple. We can do it as a family. We can do it as a church, of course. But the point is, it's a relationship, a covenant relationship that involves two parties. The two parties must come together 
in a solemn binding agreement. There must be an agreement. What I will do and what I will not do. A very classic example is, as we just read, I will maintain the unity of the church. And on the flip side, I will not tear the church down. Did we not read it? It was the first one, right? So that's the I will and I wouldn't. And now this is the most important part of the covenant. It is sealed by blood. It is sealed by blood. And of course, then you ask me, but pastor, we just did the covenant. Do we now have to seal it by blood? Quick answer, no. Nobody's asking you to cut anything today, all right? But then what, what do we do? If you say you must always be sealed by blood, what happens next? The answer will be at the later half of my sermon. A promise to do something or not to do something. Now that's a covenant, all right? So you break the covenant, you disobey, curses. You obey the covenant, blessings. The simplistic form. Now I like this word here. The Lord commanded Moses to make. The word make is karat, which means to cut. And that's where you get the word cut and sealed by blood. Which means in, back in those days, when they do a covenant, they would cut open an animal in front of them and they would say, this is the covenant binding between me and you. And if I disobey the covenant, I will be dismembered, cut open, like how this animal is dismembered and cut open. So the blood of this animal seals the covenant and it's a promise that if I disobey, I will be dismembered like this animal. So it, it helps keep the parties together, all right, uh, and not break the covenant. Following me so far? Keep this in mind as the context as I preach the Word of God. And I really like these other two words. The Lord commanded Moses to make with Israelites in Moab. So now we hear this covenant in Deuteronomy 29 is a covenant made in the plains of Moab. In addition, very important. In addition means that there is a prior covenant cut by Moses with the people. In addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb which means that there are two separate covenant-cutting ceremonies, one at Moab, one at Horeb. Horeb is an, is, is an older, uh, more name for Mount Sinai. And this is where I draw the timeline. Sorry. Covenant at Horeb. So when Moses cut a covenant with the people at Horeb, what happened is when the people of Israelites came out of Egypt, they saw the ten, the, the, the ten plagues, they saw the Red Sea opening, they saw the fire, they saw the cloud, they saw the, the, the beauty of, of Mount Sinai where God spoke to Moses, the billowing of clouds and fire. God gave the Israelites ten commandments. And this is where when Moses came down with the ten commandments, God says, Moses, you cut covenant with my people. And in Exodus 24, this is the first covenant Moses cut with the people. Then he took the book of the covenant, the Torah, and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. You see, this is a part of covenant ritual where the leader, the pastor, or the, or the appointed person by God will read the terms and condition of the covenant and the people of God will always respond, we will obey the covenant. And then it goes on. Moses then took the blood. What blood is this? The blood of the calf that was uh, uh, cut in prior verses. Sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So you hear in one whole uh, uh, scripture, you see the fullness of covenant, the cutting, the blood, the promise, and the, the, the promise and the response from the people. That's covenant, cut at Horeb. And here, the second time is a covenant at Moab before the promised land. One very distinct difference is when the people of God came out of Egypt, they were not yet a nation. 
They don't have an identity as a people yet. So God cut covenant with them and says, I'm going to give you identity because it's a covenant relationship. But now as they are entering the promised land, a new season of their life, a new destiny, a new future, a new something new that God wants to do with these people, God says, I'm going to cut another covenant with you. And here we land on Deuteronomy 29. So actually, on, uh, 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 throughout the weeks preparing for this, I've actually landed a lot in covenant, and God has been doing a lot in my spirit and heart on this word covenant. It's, it's really beautiful for me, and as I land, and as I'm inspired by God, I entitled my sermon, Renew, with three points. The problem of our hearts when we cut covenant, the solution of our Savior, and the renewal of our covenant. And the flow of the message will go like this. I want us all to reflect on my first part of the message, on the problem of our hearts. We must do some reflection as we make covenant. What is the problem of my heart? You know, as you even get married, you want to be in a relationship, you have to do some reflection. Am I ready for this relationship? Financially ready? Emotionally ready? Is my family ready? Am I ready to, to have a family, to have children? Am I ready? You have to reflect. So as God invites us all to reflect, the second part of my message is we, I want us all to revel in the glory of God. We must revel in that amazement of that glory of God. And then I want to invite everybody to renew the covenant, covenant with God. Point one, what is the problem of our hearts? And Deuteronomy chapter 29 states two problems of our hearts, two very distinct problems of our hearts. The first is found in verses two to four. Your eyes have seen, very distinct, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in, did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. So of course, now you beg the question, so I, do I see or don't see? First you said I see, and then you said I don't see. Excuse me, I don't understand. But here it is. And God is trying to say this to the people of Israel and to SIBKL. That we see the works of His hands as powerful, but we do not see the miracle worker as precious. See, that's the problem of all our hearts. We like to see the works of God's hands. We want to see the healing. We want to see the blessing. We want to see the, the providence. We want to see the money. We want to see the children. We want to see the land. We want to go in and conquer. We want to slay the giants. We want to take the mountains. We see God as a powerful God. And I don't think this is just Christians. I think non-Christians, if they know, if they believe that a God exists, they would also believe that, that whoever this God is, is must be very powerful. And we as human beings, we believe that this higher being is a powerful God. But, the, but our God, Yahweh, Yehovah, reminds the Israelites that you do not see God as precious. And that's the problem of our human hearts. We want the works of His hands, not the content of His heart. That's the problem of our heart. Just, rem just remember covenant in marriage, your marriage covenant. Who, who, who goes into a marriage covenant, and I pray nobody does, goes into a marriage covenant that says, I want to marry you because I want your money. I want your influence. I want your position in the company. Who, who does that? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> pray for you later. Who, who, who does that? Because I want what you have. I want the house that you live in. I want the car that you have. And then we accuse each other, right? Then we have all these terminologies that are not so nice, very shaming to people, gold diggers and stuff like that. That's not very nice. But that's the condition of a human heart. But when we go into a marriage covenant, our spouses, now especially men, I'm not a girl, so I can't speak for girls, but I want to speak for men. 
that in the deepest recesses of our hearts, we need to search our hearts, man, that what are we really longing for? What do we really want? Why do we work so hard? We want the approval of men. We want the acceptance that you know, our life means something. Why do we go from one girl to another? Because we want people to approve us. We, we want acceptance. We want our lives to mean something to someone else. Why do we love our spouse? Because at the end of the day, we want our spouses, whether girl or guy, to love us no matter what. I mean, isn't that the ideal? That no matter how many times I fail, you will still be there for me. No matter times I, how many times I leave the cup in the, in the sink unwashed, you will always wash it up for me. No matter how many times I, I am grumpy, you would always be patient with me. No matter how many times I do crazy things, you would always be there for me. You will love me for me, not for what I can do for you. Isn't that the ideal? Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that why, isn't that why it's now in a marriage, we have prenups, we have contracts, we sign, we have term. The current condition is longer than the vows that we say on stage. We have all this because we want to safeguard ourselves. And God says, no, I want to cut a covenant with you. I want you to know that I can do powerful, thing, powerful things for you. And there's so many testimonies. You just heard, Pastor, so many testimonies. In, God is doing something amazing in this church. God is powerful to move. But what is God reminding the people? I need you to see me as precious. You know, I was just talking to Pastor Chu one or two days ago. As we were talking, he shared a story to me. And the last line of this story was impacting me the most. And he asked, he asked is Christ enough for you? If Jesus didn't give you anything, if Jesus don't give you whatever you want, your heart's desires, the house that you wanted, the spouse that you wanted, if you don't have the influence, the fame, the power that you wanted, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus the joy that is enough for you? If you don't have any of this, you don't have the riches of the world, is it enough for you? And today, the second question I want you to wrestle with, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough? Is he the, the source of the joy in your heart? Because he has to be enough. And if he's not enough, then we suffer from this problem, that we see God as powerful, but we don't see God as precious. And it's not the creepy precious like Golem, yeah? My precious. It's not that kind of precious. It's my precious. It's a different kind of precious, right? The other problem of our heart is this. We can see and hear reality. It will come. Thank you, media. I think you need to switch it for me now. We can see and hear reality, but our hearts are spiritually dead to the truth of reality. See these verses, we can see. We can see that God heals. We can see that God gives, but our hearts are spiritually dead to the reality of God. You know, I really like our second service. There's a couple in front, as mentioned, in our second service. They're blind, but they're still sitting in front serving God, worshiping, raising their hands. Even though in the physical they cannot see, but I believe that in their heart, they can spiritually see who God is. And God wants to bring us all there today. Don't just see with our eyes what can God do for me, but see with our hearts and our spiritual eyes what God wants to be for you. Not just the doing, but the being with you, the relationship God wants to have for you. And that is the first problem of our hearts. We don't see. We don't see. We see. That's the first problem. I want to go to the second problem of our hearts. Make sure, in verse 18 to 19, make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose hearts turn away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. 
You see, God says, make sure your hearts don't turn away from Him and worship other gods. And He, and he akins this to a root that produces such bitter poison. Now, if you know the context of this verse, the verse that says bitter root or bitter poison comes from this plant. And this plant is called absinthe wormwood. So at the moment you see the word absinthe, you will know that absinthe, this plant is derived, uh, the, the alcohol drink absinthe, the very strong one is derived from this plant, taken from this plant, the absinthe wormwood. Now this plant has a few characteristics that even until modern day plagues all agriculturalists up to today. And these are the few uh, uh, characteristics, characteristics of this plant, absinthe wormwood. Number one, it is an invasive weed, which means that if you're a farmer in this place and you see this plant, you don't welcome it. You don't say, hello, absinthe, wormwood, welcome. Thank you so much for being in my garden. I appreciate you. You know, feel free to spread your seeds, right? No, no farmer does that. They see it as an invasive weed and they immediately want to get rid of it because they know the dangers of this plant. Now, what is the dangers? Number two, it is an aleolopathic plant, which means that it inhibits the growth of other plants. Now, I want you to think of this plant as the bitter root in our hearts. What is this bitter Rebellion? Unforgiveness, maybe? Maybe uh, running away from God? Maybe? Maybe whatever it is, all the bitterness in your heart. Maybe hurts that you, can, you cannot let go. Maybe the sin that you've been carrying that you cannot, you struggle with and you cannot let go. That's the bitter root. And God says, it is allelopathic, which means that it inhibits the growth of other plants. This bitter root in your heart and in Israel inhibits the joy that God wants to give you the love that God wants to show you, the acceptance that God wants to show you. It inhibits this growth. And that's why sometimes we as Christians, we find it so hard to move forward in our Christian walk because we still have this absinthe wormwood in our hearts, rooted there, will not let us go. Third one, outcompete desirable grasses and other plants in pastures. This is, this is, this is why God says in, in the Bible, the moment you see this bitter root, He destroys the nation because it outcompetes desirable grasses. Which means that if you have this plant, this bitterness in your heart, and you also side by side plant whatever plant, tomato plant or, or, or potato plant, and that potato plant is the Word of God, it says that this plant, this invasive weed will outcompete, will outgrow this good plant in your life and it will take over your whole farm. Which means that this bitter root is absolutely dangerous. It is a source of allergy and asthma. Now think about it. In our lives, when you have this bitter root, sometimes it manifests as physical, physical things, right? We can't sleep, we've got these rashes, we've got whatever it is, we, it manifests in our physical life, we're not so well, we cough a bit too much, or sometimes it can manifest in our emotional state, right? You know, again, we can't sleep, or we're too worried, or we're always angry, we're always agitated, and that sometimes as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, do we have a bitter root that is the source of all our allergy and asthma? It's poisonous, it cannot be ingested, and last one, if you want to, how do you get rid of this invasive weed? Four things. You can't burn it. So modern studies have suggested if you burn this plant, it will only grow faster because you burn all the good plants and the seed of this, of this plant will stay and this seed can't be burned and this seed will grow even faster. So burning is not a solution, all right? You must remove it by hand to the roots, which means that if it is, let's just imagine one hectare of all these weeds, you need to go to each plant and remove it and dig it up, not just the head, but down to its roots. You know how much work that is? How much work that would take? You can't mow it multiple times because it helps very little, which means that you can't cut it off. One week later, cut off again, cut off again because the seeds will drop and the seeds are the one that will grow and infest the whole garden. So in modern technology, 
Not in the Old Testament times. They don't have chemicals back then. That's why in Old Testament, when God says there is a bitter root among you, I will destroy the tribe. Because God knows that bitter root will spread to the tribe and the whole tribe, the whole clan will be rebellious against God. But in modern technology, you need a strong chemical to spray across everything, which means you destroy the weeds and you destroy the good plants as well. Again, it needs to be wiped clean. Then you ask me, Pastor, how then do we get rid of this plant? There is only one solution modern day. Prevention is best. You need a well-established grass pasture, continuous monitoring and maintenance. You know what this means? You need the good grass to grow and to root itself so strong that one seed of this wormwood will not grow in your pastures. And that's why sometimes you come to church and you say, Pastor, I hear it so many times. You, all you pastors say the same thing. You read the Word of God, you pray, you worship, but it's true. It's the only cure for a bitter root. You come to church, you must read a little bit. You must pray a little bit. You need to worship a little bit. You need to ground yourself in church. You need to ground yourself in cell. You need to ground yourself in the Word of God so much so that the bitter root of wormwood will not take a root or hold in your life. And that's why we always say the same thing. And that's why we're always doing church. Because we know the power of God's Word, that once the power of God's Word roots in your life, nothing else can take root. When the light shines in, darkness has to flee. When the Word of God stays in your life, we know that the bitter root will not stay. You will immediately forgive because you've experienced so much forgiveness, you are easy to forgive. You've experienced so much love, it's easy for you to love. You've experienced so much mercy and compassion from God, it's easy for you to have mercy and compassion on someone else. And God says, that's the problem of our hearts. Now, what is this translated to? Very, very quickly. When such a person, verse 19, hears the word of this oath, this covenant, this blessing and curses, he invokes a blessing on himself, which means this is not God's blessing. He himself thinks to himself and he blesses himself and thinks, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. Absinthe, wormwood, absinthe, alcohol, drunkard. God says the drunkard cannot be included with the sober. You see, what this means is we always say the problem of our heart is we want the security of God's love. God loves me no matter what, but I still want to follow the evil ways of my own heart. I want to walk in my ways. I want to do what I want. You don't tell me what to do. I just want you to save me. Full stop. You take God for granted. And this is the best way I can know how to explain. I want to make a nice phrase. I don't know how to make a nice phrase out of it. So this is the best way I can explain it, that all of us will know. We all say this. God will understand. I know one. God loves me, right? It's okay, one. He has to love me, right? That's why every day I go to church, there's a cross of Jesus, right? He died for my sins, right? Ah, yeah, He will forgive me, one. It's okay, one. Don't worry, you sin today. He will forgive you, one. Right? You sin tomorrow. He'll forgive you, man. No choice, man. Jesus, man, we got choice. Do we say that to ourselves that way? But we have to search and reflect our hearts. This is how we, how we feel. Then you ask, Pastor, wow, heavy life sermon. What's the solution to this? Huh? God says in Deuteronomy 30, there's a solution for the heart. It says this, and when you and your children return to the Lord and obey Him, when you return to the Lord and obey Him, He will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. 
You see, the first step for us to get rid of all this crazy is to take a step and return to the Lord. He says, God, I'm returning to you. Returning means I, I confess that I've done crazy things. I'm returning to you. I want to repent of my sins. I want to change my mind. I want to change my ways. And I want to follow you. And I want to obey you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. I want, and God, please, my heart is evil above it all. I know I want the desires of my heart. So God, please, circumcise my heart and the heart of my descendants so that I will love you. You need to help me, God, because in my own strength, I can't do it. In Christ alone will I glory. In Christ alone will I have that strength. And then you ask me, but my pastor, tough lah. I've been a Christian for 20 years, you know. I've been a Christian for 10 years, you know. I was just speaking to somebody, you know. He was just, he was just telling me, Pastor, I hear you. I know God loves me. I know God wants to set me free. But Pastor, I've been struggling with my sin for 10 years. I cannot let go. It's so, I tried. Nothing works. I tried. Everything you say, everything, whatever, all the prescription you, you ask me to do, I can't. I can't let go of this sin. And doesn't sound familiar. We can't. We can't do it. What do we do? And this is the tragedy of the old covenant and the beauty of the new covenant. The beauty of the new covenant. And I want us now to revel in the glory of God. You see, there is a solution that God has given us. The solution of our Savior. We've got Horeb, we've got Moab, but there is one more new covenant that God cuts with the people of God. It's a new covenant of Jesus Christ. And He cut that on that cross for each and every one of us. When His blood was spilled on that cross, he became the ultimate altar. He became the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, for the sins of all and for the sins of many. And he says here in Hebrews chapter 9, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly unclean. This is the Mosaic covenant. Verse 14, but then how much more then? How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You see, it doesn't stop there in Hebrew. He says the blood of Christ was shed for each and every one of us so that we can cleanse our consciousness from acts that leads to death, which means that God wants to free you from your guilt today. God wants to free you from your shame today. God wants to free you from your struggle, from the cyclic, cyclic cycle of sin today. God wants to release the shackles and release the chain today from our consciousness so that what? So that we can go back to our old ways? No. So that we may serve the living God. We will continue to walk with Him. Walk with Him. Walk with Him. Verse 15. Beautiful. For this reason. Oh man. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Do you see the resemblance? Now that He has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. What's the first covenant? The first covenant is the covenant at Moab. The covenant at Horeb. Under this first covenant, they wanted to enter the promised land, but they're committing sins after sins. And we're going to go into the book of Judges. You would see the depravity of mankind. They're going sins and sins and sins. And God says, but those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. The Israelites received the promised land, but we receive something greater. We have got abundant life. We've got that joy within us. We've got that sozo life within us that we know and we stand firm on the promises of God that my life is safe 
and my life is secured in the hands of God and nothing, nothing will ever rob me from His promise to me that I will be eternally with Jesus for the rest of my life. And that's why Christ is the mediator of this new covenant. But then you say, Pastor, Pastor, what's the difference between Moses' covenant and Jesus' covenant? Sounds the same to me. Sounds the same. There is one big difference. And it's explained in Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 9. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, the Mosaic covenant, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. It's the best part. And God turned away from them. That's the curse of the old covenant. And that's why sometimes as Christians we say the curse is planted on that tree, that cross. That's the curse of the old covenant where God says, I will turn away from you. Deuteronomy 29 verse 28 says, In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land. That's the curse of the old covenant where when we disobey, when we rebel, God will thrust us out. God says, no, just like the weed, God kills. That's the old covenant. But we've got something that the Israelites never experienced. We've got the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ because God says He turned away from the Israelites. But because of Jesus on that cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, God turned His face away from Jesus Christ. So that through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, He will never turn His face away from us. He will always be there for you. That's the beauty of the new covenant. Even though we run, even though we sin, even though we rebel, even though we're disobedient, even though our heart is cold and our heart is calloused, God says, I will never turn away from you. I would always look to you with eyes longing for my bride to come back home, with a heart loving you, calling you. And that's why one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Psalms 139, where can I run from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirits? If I run to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I sail to the furthest ends of the oceans and the seas and the world, you are there. Even there, no matter how far I run from you, even there, your righteous right hand, He guides me. He guides me. And in His right hand, He upholds me and holds fast to you. And He assures you this morning. And He wants you to know in your heart of hearts that no matter how far you are from Christ, He loves you. He will never leave nor forsake you. He will always be with you. And that's the promise of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Then you say, but in old, God says He will circumcise the hearts. God also says that in the new. Hebrews chapter 8. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, after the time of Moses, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He reenacts the covenant relationship 
and He says, my covenant relationship with you, it is not just about how powerful I can be for you. It is not just about saving you. It is not just about healing you. It is not just about giving you whatever your heart's desire, but it is to have a covenant relationship with you so that you will know that God is for you, not against you. So that you will know that you are His and you and He is yours forever. And you ask me, look at them. There's a cut here. Where is this cut? Jesus Christ. On that cross. And that's why the altar of Jesus Christ, the altar of us Christians, is the most powerful altar that we can have. There is no unholy altar can ever assert the altar of God. And that's why we have prayer altars. That's why we invite you to come. We're going to our 40 days fast and pray very, very soon. And we're going to have altars every night. I prepare you first, church. And we're not inviting you to come unless you want to come. You must voluntarily want to be there because the altar of God, the blood of Jesus Christ has that power to save you and your family and your children and your loved ones. And He calls you to Himself. That's why just now we read the covenant of membership. You say, Pastor, you said covenant needs to have blood, right? It was the blood of that covenant membership. The blood of Jesus. We don't have to bring a chicken here because we've got Jesus. We don't have to bring a dove because we've got Jesus. And Jesus stands here before you today. And He, he watches you and He calls you back to Himself. And He says, no matter how far you run, I will chase you to the ends of the earth because by my Son's blood, I have made a covenant promise with you. He is a covenant-keeping revel in His beauty. You want to say, God, You are awesome. Thank You, Jesus. You're beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. My heart cries out for You because I long for You. I long for Your face. I love You, God. Which leads me to my last point. If God sees the problem of our hearts, He has already given us a solution that is Jesus Christ, and now He invites SIVKL to renew your covenant with God once again. On Membership Installation Weekend, He invites every single one of you, renew that love, just like my first story. What is the posture of our hearts when we renew it? Yala, renew la, another thing to do? No. Where is that joy that God has loved you, saved you? Do you not remember the wickedness of our ways? Do you not remember how much He has forgiven you? How much He has forgiven you? How many, one of us, how many of us would say, I will give my son for your forgiveness? None. But Jesus did. He gave His life for your forgiveness so that we can stand in His presence and say, I give my life to the one who deserves it all. He deserves my best. He deserves my love. He deserves my commitment. He deserves my life. He deserves it all. I love you, Jesus. So as I go to my last point, the renewal of our covenant, I want to read a portion of Deuteronomy 29, and then I want to invite us all to stand, to re-enact that covenant before God. And I would love us to close in worship. Deuteronomy 29, 9 verse 15 when Moses wants to cut that covenant with his people. Moses said, as a conduit for God, 
Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything that you do. Now, I know when you read prosper in everything that you do, our minds automatically think earthly things, tangible things that we want to be prospering. But I also assure you, when God says prosper, He means emotional things. He means our heart being set free. Do you know how many of us, how many of us, if you cannot sleep, how much will you pay for a good night's sleep? You can't. Good night's sleep, you, you can't, you, there's no value to it. Nobody can give you a good night's sleep. You know, just months ago, there's this, a person came to me and says, Pastor, I've been suffering from insomnia. I cannot sleep, you know, for three months, no sleep. Can you imagine? Three months, no sleep, one hour a day. One night, I don't sleep, I go crazy. All right, I, I assure you that. I go grumpy, I go crazy, I'm annoyed, I'm irritable. Three months, that's insane. Pastor, pray for me. He answered the altar call. Pastor, pray for me. Prayed. He called me up the next morning. Pastor, you won't believe what happened. I slept the sweetest, most baby sleep that night in my last three months. I woke up refreshed in the morning. And the first thing I said, it has to be Jesus. It must be Jesus that gave me this sweet sleep. He released me from my insomnia and He gave His life to Jesus. That's prospering. God will prosper in everything that you do, including your sleep. How many of you can pay for peace? How many of you are anxious and, and, and nervous and, 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 and stressed out? How many of you can pay somebody to make you less stressed? Make you less anxious? No! Only Jesus can speak and still the storm in your heart. That's prospering in everything that you do as well. Now, verse 10, And all of you standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders, your chief men, your elders, your officials, and all the other men of SIBKL, together with your children and your wives, and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you to this day, and seals it with an oath to confirm you this day that you are His people, that He will be your God as He promised you, as He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with this oath, not only with you who are standing here today in the presence of the Lord, but also with those who are not here today. This is the best part. I love this part. Which means when we stand later on, your loved ones may not be here. Your loved ones may not know Jesus. Your family may not know Jesus. There is a cry of so many parents for their children who is so far from church. Their children don't know Jesus anymore. They don't know the values of, of biblical studies. They only know the world values out there. God says, I'm also cutting it with those who are not here. So when we stand, we make a covenant with God, but we also stand in the gap for our loved ones who don't know Jesus, and we pray for them. And God says, as I make a covenant with you, as for me and my house, oh, I will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. And as Moses did to Israel, he didn't say, one of you, if you don't believe, you, you don't have to stand, huh? Moses never said that. Moses invited everybody. And as Moses did, I'm not Moses, but as a conduit and a servant of the Lord God Almighty, can I invite everybody to stand? Everybody stand. And as we stand, I have three slides. The first two slides I take from the book of Deuteronomy, where we as a people of God, we will read it loud, with conviction, with all our hearts, and renew our covenant with God. And in the last slide, 
there is a declaration that God wants to give His people, and I will read it and declare it over us. Are we ready? All of us included, are we ready? I got this from Deuteronomy, so you can go back and check out the scriptures, and this is not finite, but this is just a few. One, two, three. The Lord is my God. The Lord is what? I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength. I will impress these commandments to my children every day. I will fear the Lord. I will serve Him only. I will not follow other gods. I will follow God's decrees and laws. I will carefully observe them with all my heart and with all my soul. I declare this day that the Lord is my God. I will walk in His ways. I will keep His decrees, commands, and laws. I will obey Him. Now lift up your hands as I want to declare this over you. Receive this from the Lord God Almighty. Deuteronomy 26, 18, verse 19. And the Lord has declared this day that you are His people. You are His treasured possession as He has promised. That you are to keep all His commands. He has declared that He will set you in praise, fame, and honour high above all the nations He has made. And that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as He has promised. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just seal this with a prayer as we sing in Christ alone. Thank you, Father God. Lord Jesus, we step before you humbly today. We take a step of an oath before you because we recognize that you are a covenant-keeping God and by the blood of Jesus spilled on that cross, we are your people and you are my God. We, Lord Jesus Christ, will love you, serve you, obey you for the rest of our lives and not just me, but my children and their children and their children will also love you and be blessed. Father, Lord God, we pray for our loved ones that we stand in the gap today. They may not know you, but Lord Jesus Christ, because of us, because of us, your covenant-keeping people, they will know you. You have already died for them. You are calling them. You have loved them, and you will call them unto your own. So in the name of Jesus, as every family here struggles against anxiety, every family struggles against financial providence, against this fight, against depression, and maybe there are abuse, Maybe there's a divorce. Maybe there's an abortion. Maybe there is problems. Maybe there are fights. In the name of Jesus, by the blood of your covenants, every family here will be reconciled one to another. They will love one another. They will look at each other with respect and with dignity, O oh Lord God, because we are your people and you are our God. You kept your covenant with us and we will love you, love people, love family. We thank you, God, and in Christ alone, when we fail, you are my glory. In Christ alone, you are my strength. In Christ alone, you are my hope. In Christ alone, you are my joy. And in Christ alone, you will be my peace in the storms of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your covenant. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. 
He is the most precious. He is the beauty of our hearts. He is the glory of our lives, Father God. We love you, Jesus. We serve you, Jesus. We obey you, Jesus. Nothing means more to us than Jesus. Jesus, you are the end all and be all. You are the perfecter of our faith. You are always going to be there for me in the good days, in the bad days, and the ugly days, Father God. We cling on to the hope that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ alone, my strength is found, my hope is found, my joy is found, my peace is found, and I will never ever let you go. Father God, you are our God and we are your people. We thank you, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. If you are new to our church, come and see us at our hospitality. We'd love to say hi to you or our connect counter. If not, God bless you. Have a great week ahead of you. In Christ alone, you will have joy this week. Joy abundant. Joy abundant.